Welcome to The Self-Made Theory, the podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. Hey, it's Ben here. I love the intersection of technology and healthcare. The potential impacts on a person's life, if you do it right, are amazing. And that's where my next guest comes in. Michelle Perugini, co-founder of Presogen and Life Whisperer, shares her story of creating a platform that helps people with one of the most challenging and emotional medical procedures, IVF. IVF, or in vitro fertilisation, is used to overcome a range of fertility issues that many couples experience. Basically, eggs are taken from the woman and fertilised outside of the womb in a special laboratory. The fertilised eggs, which are now called embryos, are allowed to grow, usually for five days, before being analysed by an embryologist, at which point, based on the embryologist's experience and what they see in the microscope, they choose the best embryo to be transferred into the woman's uterus to increase the chance that a pregnancy will occur. Life Whisperer provides significant help during this process. Michelle and her team have developed an AI or artificial intelligence engine that has analysed thousands and thousands of embryos from around the world and their success rates of pregnancy and then use this analysis to improve the selection success rate for the embryos. It's amazing stuff. And from a business and product viewpoint, they've had to deal with some really interesting challenges along the way, including regulatory approval, despite it not being an invasive medical procedure. It's rare in most businesses and product development cycles that you have to convince three different customer groups before you can successfully sell your product. In this case, Life Whisperer have had to convince the medical regulatory authorities, the end consumer or the woman who or couple who are going through IVF and the fertility clinic. Any one of these that don't believe in what you're doing and no sale. There are heaps of other great things you can learn in this episode, so buckle up for a great conversation. My name is Ben Campbell and this is The Self-Made Theory. Michelle, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks. We're in Lot 14, your new home. Has it always been your home? It is. Uh, no, well, since Lot 14 started, yeah. it's pretty much been our home. So, yes, we're very excited to be on site here. Excellent. So let's start with your elevator pitch because Life Whisperer is an interesting company name. I want to get into where that came from. But what's your elevator pitch for Life Whisperer? Well, actually, our company is Prestigen and Life Whisperer is our first product of that company. So Prestigen is all about connecting clinics globally to build scalable AI products for the medical space. And Life Whisperer is our very first product that has come from the Preston AI platform. And Life Whisperer is about using AI to help doctors to select the healthiest embryos during the IVF process. Yeah, okay. So where did the idea come from for Life Whisperer? The idea was actually from our um, third co-founder, Jonathan Hall, and he was a university student at the University of Adelaide and was working in computer vision and started getting interested in the fertility space and thought that he could do 
something non-invasively to help assess embryos. And I was mentoring him through that process. And so that's how we came across the idea. So you were mentoring him before he worked for you? or was Yes, yeah, correct. Okay. Well, before we even decided to start the company, I was mentoring him and my background was in stem cell biology and artificial intelligence. And Don Perigini, my partner and also co-founder in the business, his background was in AI. And so we thought, what a great mix of skill sets. And I was really drawn to the concept that Jonathan had come up with and thought instead of just using computer vision, we should use artificial intelligence to try and solve this problem. Yeah, okay. So can we talk a little bit about IVF? Because I know a number of people, friends of mine, who've been through IVF cycles. Can we talk a little bit about what the challenge is today for people in IVF? Yeah, the challenges are huge. I mean, infertility is actually a global epidemic and it's increasing at a very rapid rate because people are choosing to have children later in life, other environmental and lifestyle factors that are contributing to lower fertility rates. So IVF is really an assisted reproductive technology that people can access if they're having trouble conceiving naturally. But for the patients, the IVF process is actually a really stressful and traumatic one and it's very financially difficult for a lot of patients. So anything that can shorten the time to pregnancy during IVF is a huge win for patients. Mm. So for those that haven't been through or don't know someone who's been through IVF, what are the impacts on the people going through it? Yeah, there's a whole range of impacts on people going through IVF. So firstly, you have stimulation with hormones, which is pretty horrible from a you know hormonal perspective for the actual patient. Um, that's a very emotional time for them. And then they go through the process of having eggs collected and then those eggs are fertilised in vitro, so in a culture dish, and they develop into embryos over a period of five days. And at that point, an embryologist or a skilled um, professional needs to select which of those embryos to transfer back to you as the patient in order to create a baby. And they only choose one. It's not like that everywhere in the world, but they generally choose one embryo. So it's really critical to pick the best one. And, and so without Life Whisperer, how are they doing that? So currently they're, they're doing that by visual inspection down a microscope and is highly subjective. They're limited to what the eye can see and it's very variable between different skill professionals. And based on their experience, I imagine? Based on their experience. So the beauty with AI is that it can look at tens of thousands of historical cases of embryo images where it knows whether a pregnancy resulted or not. And then it's very good at remembering the features that of those embryos that were good versus those embryos that were poor. And it essentially classifies new embryos on that basis. Mm. So that leads us into what is Life Whisperer in terms of the technology that you're using to help with that. So can you just unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So at the simplest form for a clinician uh, in an IVF laboratory is a web-based application that sits next to their microscope. It's essentially a web-based login on a computer screen. And as they're looking at embryos down a microscope and taking images of those embryos, they can simply drag and drop those images onto our web-based application. And instantaneously, that AI is run in the cloud over those images. And then a report is given to them instantly on there right at the point of time of selection as to the confidence level around each of those embryos. 
and how likely they are to create a pregnancy and it helps them select the best one. Wow. So the tens of thousands of images that you talk about that you've used in the platform, where, where did they all come from originally? Oh, they came from so many places. Uh, one of the challenges in the AI space, if you're trying to build a globally scalable AI product, you need to take images from diverse clinical environments, from different clinics in different countries to get that representation across demographics and clinics. So we have had data from 12 different independent IVF centres in four countries, so Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia and the United States. And with those same clinics that have provided data, we have conducted our validation studies and we've shown that the AI is 25 to 30% more accurate than the standard embryologist scoring methods. And is that change over time as time goes on and your platform becomes more mature does your do you see your success rate going up i think the success rate will definitely go up higher um, but it will reach a maximal a maximal level of what you can actually extract out of the embryo images but absolutely as the products in use we release subsequent versions of the product that then take into account the larger data set that we've captured through that usage. So how long has it taken to get to market from idea inception? Through to, through to actually going out to market? So we're not out to market yet. We're actually about to stand up Life Whispering, our first IVF clinic in South Australia in a couple of weeks' time, which is really, really exciting for us. They'll literally be the first users of Life Whisperer. It's taken a long time. Um, it's around two and a half years. It, that feels like a long time for me. It's probably not a long, <laughs> not a long time in other people's, by other people's standards, but Developing a medical device is very challenging and it's especially challenging from a regulatory perspective if you're using technologies like artificial intelligence because there's a real education phase there around how you test these things adequately and, you know, is there potential to impact patients and outcomes um, and the fertility sector is a highly regulated space. And a highly emotional one as well. Correct, correct. And does that change depending on which market you're in? So yes. US is different regulatory, Australia's different regulatory environment, etc. Yep. So we're regulated for use in Australia. We're almost regulated for use in the EU. Um, that will be over the next couple of months that we finalise our registration. And we're in the thick of the FDA approvals at the moment, which is far longer, more arduous process. Do you have to get a new regulatory piece once Brexit happens in the UK? No, we hope not. <laughs> We've intentionally gone with a authorised representative on the European side. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is, it's going to pose challenges for areas like ours, for sure. So how have you funded the last two and a half years of development? So the first two years of development was funded personally by the founders. Each of our three founders went completely at risk with um, very little compensation over that period of time and we really... pumped the funding in to build the business and conduct those clinical studies. So Don and myself had a previous company in AI as well that we founded in 2007 and we sold that business to Ernst & Young in 2015 before starting Preston and Life Whisperer. So we used the proceeds from that acquisition to fund our new venture and in February of this year we've taken on our first round of seed funding which is $4.5 million, um, $1.5 which has been contributed by the South Australian government as part of their RCSF grant fund and $3 million, which has come from private investors in mostly in Melbourne actually and a small component from a US healthcare VC fund. Yeah, okay. And how was that process for you? Uh, 
it's really interesting, actually. We had a really good um, experience through capital raising. I think we're very fortunate to have the investors on board that we have because they're very practical and commercial investors. They understand medical device and the risk that comes with doing that and the, the timeframes that are required to commercialise something in this space. But I think if you think about it, we wanted to get to the point of reducing as much technical risk as we possibly could by the time we took on our first capital. And I think we did a really good job of doing that. So we had quite a good experience. But, you know, it always takes longer than you anticipate it will. But we got there in the end. With the bringing on of investors, were you ever a concern about having investors start telling you how to run the company? Yes, that was a major concern of mine. Um, and in fact, there were quite a few investors that we turned away because I thought they didn't necessarily have the experience in our sector and would be those types of investors that want to really strongly direct how the company proceeds. And I don't think that's a very good place for a company like ours to be. Um, you need investors who really understand the industry and who understand the challenges and uh, play a supportive role, but don't necessarily play a very strict sort of directive role. So one of our investors out of Melbourne sits on our board. He's on our board of directors and he is fabulous. He provides as much advice and assistance as we need whilst letting us kind of go about and do our own thing. So is there a big celebration when you signed the document? There was. There was kind of, it's, it's so funny when you talk about celebrations in a startup because you're normally so exhausted by the time you get to that point <laughs> that you kind of can't be bothered celebrating. <laughs> but is um, no, we did definitely have a celebration when we got to that point. And it's allowed us to grow from a team of four to a team of 11. So we've, you know, and it's allowed us to go about these regulatory approvals processes in the right way, getting the right consultants on board, getting that structure in place. So it's been a really busy six months, really, leveraging that investment to get the right things in place for us to scale mm. the product to market. It's interesting in the startup space that there's a, often a big celebration around the raise of capital uh, and often multiple rounds uh, for most companies as they go through, but less celebration about making money. Yep. <laughs> which seems a little bit odd as a business guy trying to uh, celebrate receiving money as opposed to making money. Yeah. When do you start making money? We'll start making money hopefully in a couple of weeks when we um, stand up the solution in our first clinic. That's a really, that's a pivotal moment for us. It feels like such a long time coming and I totally agree. Until customers actually start using the thing that you've built, I can't celebrate until that happens. And the other big kind of value inflection point for us is when that FDA approval lands because it's such a mark of credibility for a product like ours that is you know, it's a very long, arduous process, but once you get there, it means all the difference in terms of marketability of the product. Mm. So when you started this two and a half years ago, were there competitors in the market or was this a bit of a blue sky no, there, there weren't really. There were people who kind of conceptually had mentioned the possibility of, of non-invasive assessment of embryos. We took the approach of going out to market very early and boldly stating what we were doing. Which is unusual because not everybody does that. A no, lot of people hold that back very closely. I hate the stealth approach. I think it's a crazy approach because, and this is just my personal opinion, if no one knows what you're doing, no one's going to care about it. And it's very difficult to get the exposure you need to drive people 
people to want to work with you on the thing that you're doing if you're not out there in market constantly talking about it. So we've taken that approach and I think it served us really well. But what it did do was create this wave behind us of all these competitors who kind of went, oh, that sounds easy. I've got the means to do that. I'm going to have a crack. And there's been a couple that have done quite well. So there's another Australian company that looks at embryo assessment using AI as well. And they've just sold their algorithm to a big Swedish company for around, I think it was six million plus two million in services. Um, And that's specifically focused on a time-lapse imaging piece of equipment. And our product is intentionally very different to that where we've got a scalable product that can be put in any clinic globally, despite the hardware component. So yeah, we've created this way of competitors. And I think it's a really good thing because the industry now understands this is a real area. They are interested in it and they want to engage with whoever's doing stuff in the space. So, And you have a lead advantage because you've been through a journey of two and a half years already where others who are starting today haven't. Absolutely. And we can have a little chuckle thinking about how easy they probably think it is to get to this point and how difficult we know it is. Correct. Yep. They don't really know what's coming just yet, do they? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yep. And by the same token, we're collaborating with some of those competitive players now as well. So it's actually just really good for the industry in general to have a bit of a groundswell of... So why collaborate? Well, so for example, there's um, other companies that are looking at egg selection using AI. There's other companies that are looking at AI for predicting pregnancy success during IVF and they're looking at demographic factors um, as those sort of predictors and all of our products are incredibly complementary, right? So, but as a collective, we're more valuable to the clinics. So there's different ways that we kind of can partner or cross-promote our products and provide a more holistic solution. And the other thing that I would say is with Life Whisperer, we are actually already developing other products in the fertility space and with Prestigen outside of the fertility space in other medical areas as well. So it's not a single product business, it's just our first product. So when you're talking to clinicians about what this can do for them, do you get pushback from the clinicians about doing their job for them? No, no. Surprisingly enough, you would think that. Okay. And I'll tell you why. There's a whole range of reasons why, actually. But the main ones are that the role of an embryologist is far broader than selecting that one embryo. The second reason is that they are generally driven to improve patient outcomes and so they really do want to select the best embryo. They're not trying to select poor ones. Because the process is so traumatic, a lot of those patients don't actually come back if they have a failed cycle and a difficult experience. And if they do come back for a second round, they generally would pick a different clinic because they've had a bad experience with that. Really? Yeah. So it doesn't always happen. I mean, it depends obviously on the patient, but there is a big drop off in subsequent cycles and there is also this shopping around of different clinics. The third reason is that patients actually often select the clinic based on their success rates and although they're not explicitly published, patients can find information that relate to success rates of different clinics so it's a huge competitive advantage if you genuinely have a higher success rate that you can push. And I guess the fourth reason is that everyone wants to use the latest and greatest technology and patients want to know that their clinics are using whatever's available to them to make the best decisions on their behalf. Are you inspired listening to our interviews with great founders, CEOs and business leaders? And would you like to see your business thrive? Well, that's where the self-made theory can help. Ben's experience in helping organisations grow in such areas as sales, 
finance, operations, technology and leadership provides him with a unique skill set that you might not find in other coaches, mentors or consultants. It can often be lonely at the top. Whether you need help with growing your sales, creating a world-class culture, developing your personal leadership style, building your strategy, or maybe you just need someone to listen and work with on your ideas and business plans, the Selfmade Theory can help. Get in touch today by visiting www.theselfmadetheory.com slash now. So you almost have a marketing requirement to both touch and consumers effectively as well as clinics. Correct. The clinics are definitely harder to market to because they're more scientific and rigorous and clinical. Patients absolutely see the benefit of the solution and they really want it. So I think you're absolutely right. The marketing is to both patients and clinicians. Our product is scalable and it's low cost for patients. So we want this to be able to be accessed by any patient undergoing IVF and to be affordable for any patient undergoing IVF. And I think that's something very different to a lot of the other IVF products on the market. So it is a real advantage for the patient. So even though you're not selling to the patient, you're selling to the clinic, the patient will wear the cost? Correct. As small as it is, because that'll be an additional service or offering that the clinic will provide to them. Absolutely. Wow. And we've done that because... We want any clinics of any size to be able to offer it, right? So if it's free for the clinic and the patient wants it, they should be able to access it. That's the model. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's great. So so being out in market is obviously an important thing. You do a lot, I've seen a lot of pressure and you win an award almost every week. I, I think I see on LinkedIn, there's lots of activity in that space. How hard is it to do all of that while you're trying to run a company? It's pretty hard, but that's my job. <laughs> that's why it's taken us a year to Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. That's why, yes, that's why this podcast didn't happen earlier. But that's a massive time commitment because you're often traveling away, awards interstate, you know, media interstate. I know you've just been to the US for some upcoming documentaries, which sounds like that was fun. It was. It was. Yes, we've got two big documentaries coming out towards the end of the year. One with a Hollywood star, which is pretty exciting. And that's really focused around AI, you know, for the fertility market, which is it's really exciting. And the other one's out of um, Europe. We These marketing opportunities are, A, it's free press. B, it shows that you're credible and that you're getting visibility across those global markets in which you're trying to operate your business in. It's just so important. And every one of those trips, you meet someone who has a significant impact on the business, whether it's a new clinic that wants to join up a new trial or whether it's a clinic taking up the product or whether it's, you know, regulatory consultants for the FDA or whether it's a networking event for other people who want to explore Preston as a way to commercialise their medical device in a different area. It has to be this way. It's the only way to do it. So are you chasing these opportunities or do they come mostly to you? We started off chasing very, very hard. Was that you chasing that? Was the other founders or did you have a PR firm or someone else helping you? No, definitely the other founders as well. Jonathan's got more of a technical role um, driving the technical team, but Don and I do a lot of the commercial front-facing activities and I would say that I'm the definitely the front face of the business. It's very 
helpful to have a female in a medical-related business and my background is in the medical space. So I can talk both the language of the technology as well as the language that the clinicians need to understand. So that's a little bit difficult from my perspective because it does often fall on me to have those discussions, but I think it's really valuable to be able to have those conversations at that level. So you're not just another tech person rocking up, right? You bring a whole bunch of credibility. Correct. That uh, is important, obviously, to those conversations. Yeah, I had one clinic say to me the other week that I think you know more about embryology than I do and I've been in this space for 20 years <laughs> as an embryologist so it's quite interesting it's like because we, we look at embryology from a different perspective obviously for development of the AI but people undervalue the input that you can have from a medical perspective when you're actually designing these AI products and that's as important as the actual AI you can't just throw data at an algorithm and get a predictive model it just doesn't work like that or it's not going to be effective if you do yeah. it that way. So you said you have 11 staff now. Uh, you're about to go first-paying customer in a short period of time, which is super exciting. How does the growth of the company look? Yeah. Is this a, you know, how we've plugged in the images and we've got the algorithms and job done, we don't really need to do much here, just sell it? Or is there a whole bunch of other work that needs to happen? Yeah, you make forward. it so easy. Just sell it. Just sell it. How hard can it be? That's my, back, that's my background. I get that bit, right? Yeah. For me, <laughs> that bit's the easy for you. That's a hard bit for me. Yes, essentially. So our business model with Prestion is that Life Whisper is our first product and we've got a range of others in the pipeline under development. And as you can imagine, now Life Whisperer changes mode into a more sales and marketing mode. And that requires different skill sets and different relationships in the market to be able to do that. Our secondary product for the fertility space is one for non-invasive genetic assessment of embryos, similar premise to the first product, but that now goes into a real research and development phase. So then our AI and software teams get heavily involved in that product and pushing that through the pipeline. And then we have other ones outside of the fertility space that we're looking at as well, one in retinal imaging and one in radiology. We've kind of developed the engine that allows us to collect data from clinical locations while securely protecting patient privacy. And then we develop these individual application products. And so the application products, once they're launched and released and in market and have revenue associated with them, is it a more of a refinement process of those products? as opposed to a continual upgrade, continual change? Correct. Hmm. So it won't, it's not it's not a continuously learning model. So a new version will come out every probably 12 months yep. because it's heavily regulated. So each time we do a new version, we have to do back testing of that new version on all of the historical data and then, you know, submit that to the regulatory bodies to get them to approve the release of that new version. So you can't do that often, but we envisage that will probably be a yearly process. And yeah, it's just, it's really exciting. I mean, when you build something scalable, the upfront investment to do that is extremely high and the risk is extremely high and the amount of effort upfront is extremely high. But once you, if you develop it in the right way, it can actually scale globally. I mean, the risk, obviously, you develop a whole new product and somebody says no. Mm -hmm. Somebody says no for taking this into a, a clinical or medical environment. How big a risk is that for your other product? It's always a massive risk. We like to think that we have engaged enough clinical experts and clinics themselves to know that that's not going to happen. But, you know, there will always be a side of the market that doesn't 
like technology or doesn't believe in it or doesn't understand it fully and they'll be more difficult to sell to. But I think so long as you've got these champions that are reputable clinics that are advocates for their technology like we have, particularly in the United States, I think that's a really strong value proposition to the rest of the industry. And then what you hope is that going to market through those players, we can demonstrate the value and then it becomes a different conversation because you've actually had it in use People have paid for it. It's been proven to work and then it's a very, you know, it should be much easier. So getting those first adopters is definitely the hardest. And I imagine this space, credibility, trust and and risk are the three massive things that you've got to get across the line. Correct. Mm. Correct. Mm. Exciting. That's really exciting. So up until this point, what surprised you the most about building this company? Oh, wow. so many things. I'm constantly surprised every day by something new. Um, surprised in a good way or a bad way? Uh, maybe a bad way to start with because I think it's important to understand. Yeah, regulatory and compliance in healthcare, crazy difficult to orient your products to meet all of the requirements and then do all the testing to the extent that is required by those regulatory bodies. That's been... I always knew it would be difficult, but it's been more difficult than I anticipated. So that's been a bit of a surprise. As a consumer of healthcare and as a technology and business person, I'm conflicted with those two things because... Yeah, I look at the opportunities for technology to to change the game in healthcare and go, why couldn't we do this quicker? But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm comforted by the fact that there's a bunch of regulatory things in place so that when things come out to market, then hopefully they're robust. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the challenge is that if those regulatory bodies don't understand technology like AI, they ask for the wrong things and you can't really refuse to give them what they want. And that's really challenging for a business like ours because you can tell from the questions that come back that they don't really understand the nature of the technology and how you need to test this, which is very different to a traditional clinical trial type approach. So it's been really interesting. Some people would argue you shouldn't need to have regulatory approval around a product that's non-invasive and that still relies on the expert making the final decision. But then by the same token, if you don't do that, no clinician's ever going to trust it, right? So it's kind of this balance between what the industry craves and needs in order to, you know, give them confidence versus what you need to do from a regulatory and compliance perspective. And that whole piece is just really complex. So sitting here, a couple of weeks out from your first paying customer, other than that, what excites you about the future? For Precision and Life Whisperer. We are so excited about this new technology that we've developed around capturing data from global clinical locations. So I just mentioned the two issues that exist within our industry are there's a lot of privacy concerns around transfer of data and you can't often transfer data into a central location, which is what you would normally need to build an AI. We've actually developed a system that allows the AI to go to the data and learn from it without ever centralising that data into a specific location. Fantastic. It sounds very simple. It's not simple. (laughs) Um, And this is actually something that, and we've got a clinical portal interface that we've developed that will release 
um, we're actually launching in October in the US at a big healthcare conference. And we actually think this is going to completely impact the industry, healthcare industry globally, and how data is procured from clinics. And we also have a really unique business model around that. We're not looking to get data from clinics at no cost. So we are trying to unlock the value of the data for the clinics by giving them a revenue share back of the actual product that they've contributed to building. So it's really unique, both technically, but also from a business model perspective. And I think it's going to mobilize a whole lot more data that will allow us to build more products, which is our business model. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. It is pretty exciting. Big smile on your face. Yeah. (laughs) You can tell I love this stuff. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. What a great story. Really very excited to see uh, where this takes you and Life Whisper and Precision. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Such an amazing story with a product that can really have a wonderfully positive impact on so many people's lives. If you want to find out more, then head over to our website, www.theselfmadetheory.com forward slash podcast, where you can find out more about Michelle, Presigen, Life Whisperer, and IVF. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming, and prospering.